Thanks, worship team. Good morning. Good to see you. My name is Del, part of the teaching team here, and we're continuing our series this morning on Awesome God, second week. Um, remember last week, Dan talked to us about the infinity of God, that God is literally the biggest thought that we can possibly have as a created being. So if you uh, remember, he used the illustration of the biggest thing that we have in, in space and time, which is space itself. And he was talking to us about the vast distances of space. In fact, remember uh, 45 billion light years is being estimated now to the edges of what we know as the known universe. Um, and if God is the creator, as the scripture comes and tells us that he is the first cause, then we have to conclude that God is bigger than that. So God is even bigger than the biggest thing that we can conceive of. And then we just talked about this idea that, that if he's that big, how big is he actually in our daily experience? So you remember he threw up the God scale. And he just said, how was your awe? Like how, this week on a scale of 1 to 10, almost like an earthquake scale, Richter scale, the God scale, where would, you, uh, where would you actually register on a daily basis in terms of this great God, the biggest thought you'll ever have, invading the thoughts of your daily experience? So if you want to check out that message, you missed it, it's on our iTunes channel and on the website. Uh, great thing to review there if you, uh, if you missed it. Now this week, we're going to say that, that God is the biggest thing. He's bigger than we can possibly think. This week, we're going to talk about the fact that God is actually also closer, closer than we think. And this is the doctrine of imminence. So last week, we did infinity. This week, imminence. Imminence is basically this idea that God, while he is distinct from as the creator, ruling over as the creator, sustaining as the creator, uh, everything that he's made. So he is not the creation. You know, he's, he's over it and bigger than. He also remains in it. So that we can say in a very fundamental way that while God is big, he is also close. He's here. He's remaining in everything that he's made. And he is present everywhere that his activity and his presence can be accessed everywhere. Okay, so this is the doctrine of imminence. And let me show you how this works um, in the scripture. So this is all over the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul writing here, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all. So that would be infinity, right? God is the creator. He's bigger than. But he is also What? He's also in all and through all. So the Apostle Paul continues, like in another place, Acts. He himself, this, this great God, this big God, gives life and he gives breath to everything and he satisfies every human need. So there you have infinity, right? But in him, we actually live and we move and we have our being. So there's the closeness of God. So, so that as a created being, as a human being, coming into contact with his creator, we actually find that the very context of our existence itself, like everything that we find is life, actually is connected in some fundamental way uh, to God. So just think about this this morning. Um, the, the comedian Woody Allen just says that 95% of life is showing up. Well, uh, that's usually a handful just for us, right? Showing up this morning may have been about all the strength you could muster, but you didn't have to tell your lungs to breathe. 
And the air that you sucked in, you know, you didn't, you didn't make it, right? It was, it was given. And on and on, really fundamentally as a human being, we find ourselves showing up to all kinds of things that have been created, given, and sustained by no human cause. And this is all that, this is all that the scripture is teaching here, that the, the cause behind all of those things actually is the God in whom we live and we move and we exist. And then finally here uh, in Colossians, look at this text. Everything was created through him and for him. So there you have infinity. He existed before anything else and he holds like presently and active all creation together. So, you know, you get the best scientific minds that can tell you about the laws of the universe and, and sort of talk about how the universe is functioning. There's still a lot that remains to be known about, like, how does this actually work? Um, and what the scripture is telling us here is that in some really fundamental way that we should be really, really glad that God never takes a day off. Because one day off for God would be a very bad day for all of us, he is that active and present that he is holding things. Literally, the world itself would pile up in some kind of cosmic train wreck if it were not for the active presence uh, of this great God. Okay? And so we can say that God's imminence really means something relevant and practical to us because he's here and he's active, and that's going to change. It really does change everything about our lives, and we're going to look at why. Now, I want to I take an aside here and just um, talk to you about the fact that we live in a universe um, that is not only functioning like this on the tap level, but we also live in a culture. So let's, let's step back and think about our formation, the, you know, our thoughts, our attitudes, the things that we think and feel normal to us um, from, the, from the standpoint of our culture. So our culture would come as a Western, mastery-oriented society where we have put tremendous faith in the progress and the potential of science. And so it would say to us that actually reality itself is best understood um, in terms of its material quality. So anything that can really be given credence as reality or, you know, really living in the grown-up world or living in living in sophistication, has a physical explanation. So, you know, scientists uh, would say to us that things need to be observable and repeatable and measurable. And, and our culture has said that knowledge of this kind is the kind that actually can be trusted. So until it can be proven and observable and repeatable, um, then we're not talking really about knowledge, we're talking about something else. Uh, something more akin to fantasy or fairy tale or belief or something like this. And so, and so some would just come out, right out and say, like, the notion of God is not reasonable. Have you heard that? It's just, it's just not reasonable. So, so essentially, God doesn't exist. Even consciousness and mental processes and emotions and all these things that feel beyond the scope of science, in some fundamental way, will have a physical explanation. We just haven't figured it out yet. But Whatever can be known is physical. That's, that's materialism. It's the world you live in. I want to say to you that science and the scientific method, this observable, repeatable, measurable knowledge, is a, is a great gift uh, to us. Um, and it's created by God. All these things are created by God. They can, be, they can be verified. It's a wonderful way of knowing. There's nothing philosophically fundamentally opposed to this idea of science and faith. 
Um, but, you know, folks are saying, well, uh, if you're going to hold to the fantasies of faith, then you're obviously not a man of, or a woman of science. Um, I don't think that's philosophically true. That's a, that's a topic for another day. But uh, let me talk to, about, to you about how this comes home maybe even more practically. Because there, you know, if you went around on the street and you were to ask, uh, you know, our neighbors and friends and just, you know, all kinds of people, do you believe in God? Well, in, you, know, you know, in Europe, you would get one answer, but in the United States, you still get a pretty surprising number of people saying, yes, you know, I believe in God. Uh, maybe your co- coworkers are like this, like, I believe, I mean, I don't really know what this, I don't know what all that means, you know, because I live in the world of reality, you know, but, I mean, but like, like if we're going to speculate, you know, I, w- I would say that, yeah, there's probably a God. Um, and so you don't have all the folks who are thinking this way, like a materialistic way, saying God is, a, you know, God is non-existent. They might even say, well, yeah, he might exist. But after all, we are living in a material world tomorrow. We have to go to work and, you know, you have to, you have to make some money and you have to figure out how your life's going to work. So whatever you're going to say about God is sort of a private matter. You know, you have people say this, like, you know, it's, I'm glad that's working for you. You know, it's kind of, kind of gives your life a sense of meaning. You know, that's, that's great. I'm glad you found something. But we all know that Monday morning, what matters is matters and molecules and reality. And so functionally, God if he exists at all, exists sort of over here in our actual lives, you know, down here. And I want to suggest to you that that's in the air we breathe. In fact, uh, as I was being honest with myself this week, um, I realized that on a day-to-day basis, I spend a whole lot of time thinking about matters and molecules. The weight of my life and the world itself, the, the things that I'm actually believing will credibly lead to something worthwhile, kind of depend on me. And I'm hoping God will help. Right? And so I want to I challenge you as we go through this to be asking the question, while you believe in God, are you a functional atheist? I mean, like when it really comes down to the actual day-to-day moments of your life, how present and active and your own mindset is the concept of God, is the person of God, even while you're attending church on the weekends. Because, because to whatever degree we have this separation, if God is disconnected and far away and somehow ruling over it, but not really relevantly for my life, God as a concept has really become totally irrelevant. Fair? Okay, so in contrast to that, the scripture is teaching us that, well, God is here and he's active in ways that actually explode all of our other categories and should, in fact, shape them. And I'm going to show you how this works with three big ideas here from the scriptures. So when we go to the scriptures, here is this idea unpacked of God's presence and his activity. And the first thing I want to say to you is that God, the God of the Bible, the story of the Bible is a God who wants people near. Now look at me for a second. This should be a staggering thought to you, as staggering as the infinity of God should be this statement, that the nature of God includes within it this 
quality of love, of personality, of desire for closeness actually with you. And this is the entire story of the Bible. So think about Genesis 1. So you have the creation account. Adam and Eve are created. And what do we find God doing as master and lord of the universe? He comes across to me as pretty chatty. Like he comes by for evening connection time with Adam and Eve where they walk in the garden, in the cool of the garden. I'm not sure what they talked about. But there was an interactive, personal, warm, conversant connection with God. That's our first presentation. Now fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible. And what do you find? Like in Revelation 21, what do you find? Like there's a party going on. Like literally, a party. The end of the Bible is a party. And the new kingdom has come. And all things have become well. And all manner of things have become well. And the center of the story is a big shout. And the shout, do you remember what the shout is? That the dwelling place of God is now with what? With people. So the entire storyline of the Bible is a storyline of God's passionate, persistent, unbelievably like amazing desire to be near to people and for people to be near to him and everything in between, whatever we're going to say about it, but certainly all of what Jesus' message like centers in is bringing God near. Now, here's the second big idea then. It's no surprise then that Jesus' fundamental message has to do with this. Jesus was commissioned, sent to bring God near to people and to bring people near to God. This is so core to the story that before Jesus even takes his first breath, he's like still in Mary's womb, the angel is making a proclamation to Mary saying, great news, God has come. The child that's about to burst on the scene, his name is Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel. Literally translated what? the one who brings God near. The entire purpose of God in the person of Jesus Christ has to do with this. This passionate desire of God to bring people near. And then, and then you follow the life and ministry of Jesus. We don't know a lot about his childhood, but as he burst onto the scene... His very first message, like it says he went everywhere with a message. And this message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? It's near to you. It's near to you. Now, repent. The idea here is change your thinking. Like re-examine all of your assumptions. Like there is, there is something standing right in front of you. There's new information on the scene that clarifies in, in a way that if you actually grasp it, 
Everything that you think about life and reality is going to be fundamentally changed. Like it reorders everything about your life. Like if you get the why of this and the clarity about this, everything else follows. If you miss this, everything else follows. Like it is the most fundamental news of life. And here's what it is. That God has a kingdom. Like you have a kingdom. Your kingdom is the range of your personal will. Like what you want and what you get done happens. That's your kingdom. God has one too as a person. It's the range of his will. His will is that what? People be near. Okay, and so he's bringing that. And Jesus says, it's actually so close to you, you're about, like if you don't stop, you might run right into it. Like it's like, it's like as close to you as the very air that you're breathing. It's accessible. You as an ordinary person, if you grasp this, can actually step into it and find that you are in the realm of God. Like you are in interactive relationship with God. This is fundamental to the gospel and what Jesus is actually doing in the world. And so we sometimes think, and I don't think wrongly, but just maybe partially, that we think of heaven as a place, right? Heaven is the place where God lives. So you say, well, where does God live? Well, far, far away. And I think it's up. Of course, the world is round, so that's, it's confusing. So, so but, he, but, but it's... And, 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 and so if I believe in Jesus, you know, in his message, then I get to go where when I die? To heaven, to the, to the place where he is. And so we, we have a conversation that's shaped primarily thinking about that. And I'm not saying that's not true. There is a, like, we're, we're dealing with God here. We're using human categories. So does he have a place? I mean, I, mean, I don't know how it works, but yes, he has a dimension. But, but what, if, what if also included or loaded into this is this idea that Jesus was bringing God near and heaven is not only a place, it's actually a dimension or an atmosphere. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the air that we breathe, it's all around us. Like we could actually step into a reality because of Jesus that like, like we are actually with God. Like, like where there's a connection to God that's interactive and personal and warm and relational and this kind of thing and you're back and forth. And like in that sense that heaven it's not just a location, it's actually like a, it's a dimension of quality of life. Like, like eternal life, heaven actually can begin now. It appears that this is what Jesus is saying. Like, like there's a sense in which there's going to be a fulfillment, but it starts now. So when he says in John 17, this is eternal life. This is it. So you wait, like where? He's going to give me directions. No, eternal life is this, to know me, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So Jesus comes to bring us into the realm of God. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is to be in interactive relationship with God. Part of that is that your life with God lasts forever. Disconnected from relationship with him, however, Going to heaven when you die begins to lose its context and its orientation. Like it becomes very confusing. Okay? Now, here's the third thing I want to say to you. Can I just back up and say one more thing on that? It strikes me as a great surprise that people who 
apparently believe that Jesus is strong and powerful enough to save their soul and take them to heaven when they die, think that he has very little to say about tomorrow. Like, it just seems like a value mistake. Like, if the guy, you know, if Jesus can actually take your soul to heaven, he, like, probably has a ton to say about, like, right now and tomorrow. See what I'm saying? It's odd. Okay, on to point three here. Purpose in life, then, is actually found by encountering God's nearness. This seems obvious, right? If this is, the, this is the desire of God, this is the message of Jesus, this is the point of history, this is where everything's going, then my nearness to God is like the whole point. Correct? Like life with him, and then this is why witness and gospel is so important because we want everybody to be in life with God. Right? We want them to find the fulfillment of their destiny as a human being created in his image. We want them to know his purposes. This is why Jesus was going everywhere, like preaching this and telling us to make disciples and all of that is because it's such good news. It's like unbelievable. All right, now I want to I introduce you just briefly in the minutes that we have left to a man who got this news flash a long time ago, but in a really surprising way. His name is Jacob, okay? So Genesis, got your Bibles? Genesis 28, if you don't, it's a pew, but there's a, there's a seat Bible, I think, in front of you. Genesis 28, I want to read the story and make a few comments, okay, on this that will, I think will help us. Now, there's a backstory. As you're turning, let me just help you locate the narrative. Jacob was the son. He had a, you know, he's a twin brother. He had, he had a twin brother named Esau. He was the son of Isaac. Okay, that might ring a bell. Isaac was the son of Abraham. That should ring a bell. Okay, because, because Abraham in the Bible was the person that, you know, the family that God selected out to begin his particular story of redemption, okay? And, and, and there's a whole storyline that follows from the promises that God made to Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Jacob's gonna go on and have 12 sons. He doesn't know it yet in the story. He had 12 sons. Those 12 sons are gonna be eventually become the entire nation of Israel. So when you talk about the story of Israel and like Jesus was an Israelite, you know, it's so like the line of uh, the line of Jesus, all of that traces back to this story that we're jumping into. Okay, you got to go back and read it if you haven't. It's really, really interesting stuff. But when we, when we encounter Jacob right here, let me just say this, things are not going well. Okay, and we don't have time to read the backstory on this, but let me just trace it out for you. Like in, those, in that culture, oldest brothers got all the inheritance. Okay? Now Jacob was a twin, so he almost made it. The problem is Esau got out ahead um, and ruined his life. So Jacob spends the rest of his like, young adulthood trying how to beat this rap. He wants to make something out of himself. He wants to, he wants to be somebody. Um, and there's one problem, Esau. So to make matters worse, daddy liked Esau. So, he, so it's like, what do you do? What's a, what's a, what's a guy to do? Um, so he began to use deception to the point when we picked this up, Jacob, Jacob was so committed to this like, project of finding fulfillment in life that he had just lied to his dying father, stole his brother's everything his bro- while his brother was out. His brother was on the way back and he realized, uh-oh, dad's dead and Esau's mad. So what would you have done? 
He took off running. Okay, this is where we, this is where, so he runs. So this is where, this is where we are. Genesis, Genesis 28, all right? Verse 10. Meanwhile, isn't, don't you love these, like, it's a little underwhelming. Like, meanwhile, like, while I was just deceiving dad and stealing, you know, my brother and running for my life. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba. He traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place. Now, let me look up here for a second. When you're running for your life, good is relative. We're going to find this out. So he found a, he found a good place. He stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against. So this was not the KOA or the Holiday Inn. That's why I say the good place is relative. This was the middle of nowhere. He literally, this guy literally ran into the wilderness until he dropped from exhaustion. So he finds a rock. Uh, he is clearly sleep deprived because he slept. He dreams while he's asleep of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. All right, so he's like, he's like dreaming. He's like, okay, I'm in the middle of nowhere, running for my life, and I'm having a vision that this God of my dad and my grandparents, like, actually is real. Like, he's standing at the top of a stairway. And then something else that is like blowing my mind is that earth, like the place where I'm trying to desperately to carve out some sort of meaning and existence on my own somehow connects, like my place connects to God's and God's connects. This is not a static picture on the wall like that you look at and tell stories to your grandchildren. This is like a live action movie. Like, God is moving. And there's like, I don't know what these people are doing, but they're like, coming down here, and then they're going up there, and that means that there's like a pathway, and that means that, I mean, he's freaking out. And God then starts to talk, like, with words. Now, let me let's just pause for a second. You're laughing, because you've read this, maybe you've read the story. But you know what would be the most startling thing? I think for most of us, like it would just scare us to death. Like, what if we actually came to church and God showed up? I mean, the, I mean, Annie Dillard, the poet, actually says, if we took half of what we say we believe seriously, we would wear crash helmets, like to church. Because what if the what, what if this wild God, who's bigger than we think, actually was close? Okay, and so and so Jacob's like he's getting, like this is his reality right here, right? Like like. Like, what does this mean? And so when this God starts to speak, it's sort of amazing and reassuring. Because what he starts to make to Jacob is promises. He starts to, he starts to say to him, I'm the Lord, I'm the God of your father, you know, of Abraham. The ground that you're lying on actually belongs to you. By the way, it's mine, so I can give it to you. It belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be actually as numerous as the dust of the earth. They're going to spread out in all directions, east and west. And through you, you know, I'm going to protect you and all this stuff, but through you, thousands of people are going to be blessed. Do you realize that you would not be sitting here this morning except for the story? Like, you're inclu- like you and me are included in the thousands that eventually got blessed from the promises. He's, say- he's saying, I'm making promises to you. 
So he, God finishes, and then look at verse 16. This is where I want to camp just for a minute as we close. Jacob awakes from his sleep, and he says, like, you have to put the tone in here. I think it was something like, God is in this place. Like, I think, I think he is so surprised he can barely speak. Like, surely God's in this place. Like, he's looking around. Because, like, like the last thing in the world that he ever expected to encounter in this place was God. Like, actually in life, but, but like in a, in a desert? Surely God is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he also was afraid. And he said, what an awesome place this is. It's the, it's the house of God. It's the very dwelling place of God. And so he, you know, he builds an altar. He calls it Bethel, like house of God. He sets up a remembrance. Like he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, who will even know? Like, it's, we're in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, I mean, he, he's just like, his circuits are just blowing. Just blowing his mind. And I think, I think what we need to pull away from this is this. This, this, this God who is closer than we think is actually nearer to us than we think. Like for Jacob, this God breaking in, the very first level of surprise was I just didn't know. I mean, I've been running around crazy for 35 years. I'm not even proud of what I did, but it was like the only formula I had. And you're telling me that you are like right here? Like you come down on a staircase like and go back up again? And like you have words to say? Like I am shocked like nothing about my life can possibly ever make sense again in the same way. And Jesus, I think when he said good news, the kingdom of God is here, it was this radical, he was saying like, you're not going to, I mean like, boom. Like you can live your life with God. Like he is, he is coming at you. He is making offers to you. He's making promises and invitations to you. Like, like mind blown. Mind blown. And God is, God is closer to us not only than our awareness, which has got to change, right? Like fundamentally, to be a Christian is just to like, boom. Like my awareness is my mind blown. Like life is about something else. It's a different kingdom. But it's also nearer than our assumptions. It was nearer than, you, know, you, you pick this up in Jacob's surprise. He's like, man, in verse 20, if this is true, like if God really is near. And then he starts, he starts going, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to make some vows and like, I got to like change stuff. Because the last thing that Jacob, now think about Jacob for a second. If you were God, would you come to Jacob I mean, this guy was a cheater. He was a liar. His name actually means, like, liar. Like, he's not trustworthy. He just, he just pulled one over on his dad and conspired with his mom to blow up his brother's life. Like, this is not a good person. He is capable of almost anything. And, like, the God of 
the universe is coming to that person. So, so we, you know, our assumptions, God comes to perfect people. Well, no. Well, well God comes to church or to like holy places, except I'm standing in the middle of the desert, you know, where there's rocks and like it's desolate and like nobody wants to live out here. Like, like, right? He comes, to, he comes in unlikely places, like any place. It's like, it's sort of like the scripture saying like, if God's going to come in the middle of this, like, you better look out in the foyer. Right? He comes, in, he comes in unlikely places. And then Jacob's life was an absolute, he was like in the worst, like his family was blown up. He had no idea where he was headed. He had no idea how he was going to make a living. None of it. Like he had no direction. And God is breaking in. He's like, well, I guess, I mean, I guess. He's just like backing up. I guess if this is like the way it, the way it rolls, you know, I got to start, I got to start repenting. I gotta like start changing my thinking. I gotta start discarding wrong assumptions. I've gotta like start stepping into like something else. See if you follow what I'm saying? And I wanna I wanna say to you that if God is near, look at me this morning. If God is near, if this is true, if we're not playing at this, like if He's actually real, everything, everything changes. Like the American dream is not our script. Like, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Like, like, what would be the purpose to think of God as an add-on to your happiness? Like, if this is the story. Like, it doesn't, do you see what I'm saying? That story doesn't fit this story. Like, it's not the story. And I'm not guilt-tripping anyone. I'm saying this is, this is the most beautiful, awesome thing because God's saying, no, it's not that. It's actually life with me. Like, interactive, warm, Ongoing, daily, mind-blowing. And it's actually, it's actually not even about you, ultimately, because I love you, but I'm catching you up into my purposes that are going to bless. Like, can you imagine Jacob standing there, like, like in this story, envisioning you? Like, he couldn't. He couldn't. Like, he had no idea the domino effect of one life caught up into this kind of awareness. Like it just, like it just like blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. When God said, I'm going to bless you and everything's going to become a blessing, like he had no idea. Like, and that's the meaning of your life with God. That's the meaning of your repentance. That's the meaning of your discipleship. Like, boom, different life, different life. So... What is one to say into these things, right? I mean, I don't know how to, how do I get off? I don't know. I mean, I mean, a few things that I, the, a few things that I would say is like daily life, ordinary, like what we're calling the ordinary, run-of-the-mill, you know, I don't know, is it, tre- it's kind of, tr- it's a little bit of trudgery, right? Like it's not even, sometimes it's not even fun. Like life Newsflash, if God is there, it is the context for new possibilities. Like, I'm talking about mind-blowing, extraordinary things. Like, what? Yeah, your, like your rock and your roadside dump. 
like, like that you would just love to encounter something more, like that's where God is. That's where he comes. Like that's how he works. Like everywhere. Right? If you have eyes to see, Jesus said. Your life, your ordinary, can we say mundane? Can we say not fun sometimes? Life. What did, what did Jacob call that place? A house. Like a dwelling place for who? Right? God's home? God's space? The range of God's personal will? Can we say eternity? Would that be too much? Like, like a piece of heaven? Like I've had dinner with you guys, it is. It's a piece of heaven. Like a piece of heaven? That lasts forever? Our lives, God's home. But I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to live in that space. Like, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, like, I'm, my dad's mad. My dad's dead. My mom's, I don't know what she is. My brother's mad. My uncle doesn't know I'm coming. Like, I have no job. I got no purpose. I'm wandering. I'm lost. No, I mean, I mean, God says, listen, get up. I'm going to be with you. Like, I'm not going to tell you everything, you know. Got some promises, but I'm going to tell you everything. Like, if you read Jacob's story, it's like a lot of up and downs. Like, he had a lot of lessons to learn. It wasn't like magic, right? I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to blow the story for it, but God broke his leg later. Anyways, so, so, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's like tough lessons. But I've got a direction for you. I've got a purpose for you. Just come on with me. Come on with me. Like stop doing this with your life and like realize it's this. And come with me because your destiny is actually to live your life with God. Okay? And as we come into this series, like more and more as we get into know who God is, like he's awesome. He's bigger than we think. He's closer than we think. He's a lot of other stuff. He's not tame. Like we got to put our crash helmets on. We got to learn we got to dig in, but he's taking us somewhere, and he's doing something that if we'll let him, will blow our minds both now and forever, and we will find ourselves now in shadows, but knowing perfectly what, have, what heaven actually means. It's a place. It's a dimension. It's probably a lot of things I have no idea, but it's awesome, right? Because you were made, and I was made for life with God. All right? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to, I want to thank you for times as a community where we can learn from your word, like look at your story, have our minds blown by the awesomeness of you. So God, I pray that you would help us right now to process a little bit and begin like Jacob, as haltingly as we have to be and where we are to make our vows to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.